Hello, this is the Daily Non-Pareil for Friday, March 10th, 2023. Right away, there is an image of two women looking at an art gallery. They're looking at art, um, and the column for that says six indoor activities in Council Bluffs. See page A4. Then moving down, there is an article entitled Iowa State Auditor Slams Bill, and there's a picture of a young woman with a dog. The dog looks like a husky, and the caption for that says, Midlands Humane Society staffer Paige Connerly takes Luna, a two-year-old female husky mix, up for adoption at Midlands on a stroll through the snow outside the shelter on Thursday, March 9, 2023. Thursday's snow went as quickly as it came as afternoon rain melted most of it away. Read more about Luna on, in the face of the day. The picture is by Joe Scherer Photos. Um, and then moving on to the Iowa State Auditor Slams Bill Law. It says, lawmakers say it will protect loans. It says, lawmaker says it will protect Iowans' personal information. Opposition says it will limit state watchdog. This article is by Aaron Murphy from the Lee Gazette and Des Moines Bureau. Des Moines limits it would be placed on what personal information the state taxpayer's watchdog could demand during an audit under legislation being advanced by state lawmakers. House Senate File 847. How Senate File 478 would impact the state auditor's ability to conduct investigations in an independent, nonpartisan fashion is the subject of stark disagreement between the current state auditor and the lawmaker who crafted the legislation. Senator Michael Busolet, a Republican from Ankeny, said that legislation was designed to protect the privacy of Iowans' personal information and to clarify questions that were raised during the 2021 Iowa Supreme Court case that pondered the auditor's authority. However, Iowa Auditor Rob Sand, a Democrat, insisted the proposal would severely restrict the office's ability to perform audits. A bipartisan coalition of state auditors and the leader of the national organization that represents state auditors agrees with him. Sand said during a Thursday news conference at the Capitol, the proposal would would embolden the subjects of state audits to withhold information that is necessary to complete investigations, hampering the office's ability to root out government malfeasance Sand also warned that if agencies withhold information, the auditor's office may not be able to complete investigations, which would jeopardize federal funding for some state programs. This bill would give veto power to anyone who doesn't want us to look at what they're doing with taxpayer money, Sand said. I'm not pulling your chain about how serious this is. This bill is a big mistake that can have catastrophic impacts for the state's financial situation, as well as allowing waste, fraud, and abuse to be hidden by whoever is conducting it. The Iowa Senate passed the bill earlier this week with only Republican support. It is now eligible for consideration in the Iowa House. What's proposed? 
Under the proposal, the auditor's office during an audit could not demand 11 types of personal information, including criminal files, law enforcement, investive documents, income. It says, please see bill page 40, page A2. Moving over to the side, that same husky from the earlier image is now eating kibble out of someone's hand. The caption is a snowy stroll with snacks. Luna, a two-year-old female husky mix available for adoption at Midlands Humane Society, gobbles up some treats from Midlands staffer Paige Connerly after taking a walk in the snow outside the shelter on Thursday, March 9, 2023. Next, there is an article called, Is Hyperpartisan Legislation Growing? Critics say Iowa's Republican legislator is advancing national playbook. This is by Caleb McCullough from the League Gazette in Des Moines Bureau. With commanding majorities in Iowa's legislature, Republicans have been able to advance an expressively conservative agenda in this year's legislative session, passing one of the most expansive school choice bills in the country and limiting LGBTQ topics in public schools. The party in control isn't anything new. Republicans have set the agenda at the state level since 2017 when the party gained control of both chambers of the legislature and the governor's office, and they've increased their majorities since then. But Democrats have argued they've seen a ramping up of hyperpartisan legislation this year, and the agenda being proposed is out of a national playbook rather than responding to the needs of the state. Senator Tony Bizigiano a Democrat from Des Moines who was in the House from 1987 to 1999 and has been in the Senate since 2017, said this year he's seen a more coordinated push to advance legislation that has been passed in other Republican-led states. In the weeks before Iowa lawmakers passed a bill that would ban gender-affirming care for transgender mi minors this week, Mississippi, South Dakota, and Tennessee all enacted similar bans. Governor Kim Reynolds has yet to sign Iowa's bill into law. I've never seen anything or so orchestrated, he said. None of this that is that none of this that we're dealing with is originated in Iowa. These are national far right groups that are pushing these in each state that they can. But Republicans have argued the agenda they've set has been in the works for years and is responding to requests they've received from constitutes. Republican House Speaker Pat Grassley of New Hartford pointed to two bills the caucus advanced this week, changing the Board of Education examiners and restricting books with sexual content from school libraries, and said those bills have been under constitution for multiple years. Those two, for example, aren't issues that necessarily the nation the national mood has really put in front of us, Grassley said. Those are things that we've been working on now. This is at least the second legislative session, for some even before that. Another change, Bizigiano and Democratic leaders said they've seen is more direct involvement from Republican Governor Kim Reynolds is setting a policy agenda. It's controlled from the top down. This is all the governor's accumulation of power, Bissi Jano said. 
Reynolds weighed in in primary elections last year, ousting several Republicans who opposed her proposal to provide taxpayer-funded private school financial assistance to 10,000 students. The results were a caucus more supportive of the plan, and the first bill Reynolds signed into law was a more expensive version, allowing every student in the state to take advance advantage of the education savings account to attend private school once it's fully implemented. Democratic House Leader Jennifer Confrist said this week she had to hear from Republicans that do not want to support certain bills, but they felt that they had to. Visigiano echoed that sentiment, even the ones that don't necessarily agree 100% with the bills. And then it says to finish, see the legislation, page A2. They'll vote for them, Bissy Jono said. There's just not much break in the direction they're following, which is the far right. Republican Senator Jason Schultz of Shelswing disputed the idea that Reynolds is directing Republican lawmakers, but he said her popularity, having won the most recent election by a significant margin, has given her the confidence to be more vocal about her priorities. But, Schultz said, the legislation being passed has been negotiated between Republicans in the state house and the Reynolds for years. I think what we're seeing is the governor being bold and showing true leadership and the legislator as our majorities grow, coming to a point where we can move the conservative issues that we've had been working on for years, he said. Schultz came into the legislature in 2009 when Democrats had full control of the legislature and governor's office and served through a split government until Republicans gained full control in 2017. While the legislation being moved by Republicans has gotten more conservative as their numbers have grown, Schultz said he did not think the partisanship in the state house had gotten worse compared to when Democrats had full control of the legislature and the governor's office at the beginning of his time in the legislature. At the time, he said, Democrats were spending every dime that was legally available, while Republicans wanted more conservative spending. He pointed to a bill the Senate passed the, this week proposed by Reynolds to re reorganize the state government, shrinking the number of state agencies and creating more agency leaders who are appointed by the governor and subject to Iowa state con confirmation, rather than being elected by state boards or commissions. Democrats brought up dozens of concerns with the 1,600-page bill and said it consolidated too much power under Reynolds. Schultz said he spoke with the Democrat leader on that committee and listened to his concerns, but with a significant majority, Republicans were able to get their goals through on that bill. I made clear that I researched the concerns brought to us by the minority and that it was acknowledged, but at the end, when you have when you have to pass a bill, we do not have a conservative agenda, and when the research is done, we moved it, Schultz said. Returning to the Iowa State Auditor Slams Bill article, the end quote for that was, Under proposal, the auditor's office during an audit could not demand 11 types of personal information, including criminal files, law enforcement, investigative documents, income, and then moving on to the next page, tax returns, medical files, public health records, 
and any other personal information that an individual would reasonably expect to be kept private or is unnecessary for the audit. The auditor's office could get that information only if the office proves it is relevant to the audit. The party being investigated agrees to hand over the information and the information is altered so individuals cannot be identified. Busolo said he would write the bill to answer questions raised during the 2021 Iowa Supreme Court case involving the auditor's office subpoena of records from the University of Iowa regarding its $1 billion 50-year lease of its utility system. In that case, the court considered the scope of the audits and the authority of the state auditor's office. The Supreme Court in the case ruled unanimously in the auditor's office favor. This is about protecting privacy. Privacy isn't partisan, Busolo said in a statement. The bill answers questions raised by the Iowa Supreme Court in 2021 when the audit began. By the Supreme Court in 2021, when an audit begins, what information is confidential and how disputes are resolved. The bill ensures the auditor has access to relevant information in an audit, but confidential personal information is protected. Busolo said he, he presented the proposed legislation to the state treasurer and the Department of Management, both led by Republicans, and to the Iowa Board of Regents and to private accounting firms. I have full faith this legislation complies with government auditing standards, which Busolo notes are referenced in the bill, while protecting Iowans' privacy, he said. Pushback. Sand and other state auditors, both Democrat and Republican, disagree and say the proposal would hinder the auditor's office ability to conduct audits. A letter from the National Auditors Association, written by the organization's president and signed by 26 other state auditors, says the proposal would negatively impact the auditor's ability to independently and sufficiently perform his audit work. State auditors should have unfettered access to confidential records to ensure that state agencies are following their policies and procedures and state and federal law, the letter stated. This is also necessary to ensure that we prevent waste, fraud, and abuse of state programs and funds. State auditors have also had the immense responsibility to guard against disclosure of any confidential information. It is a responsibility we take seriously. Moving back over to the story about Luna the dog, it says, Rain or shine and even snow, Luna the dog is ready to play. Luna is a two-year-old female husky mix who is currently available for adoption from Midlands Humane Society. While many in the area were dreading the return of the snow Thursday, Luna was all in as she got to take a walk through the wintry white stuff that afternoon. She'd rather be having this type of fun with a forever family, but she's unfortunately been at the shelter since October. She is looking for a home where she is the only dog and has plenty of room to run around. She is a little jumpy, but she's very loving and excited to be around people. She is treat motivated, so that should help her while learning manners. Her adoption fee is normally 225 but Midlands is letting people name their prices 
so they can get Luna home as soon as possible. In other shelter news, Midlands and Leadership Council Bluffs are teaming up to host Discs for Dogs, a disc golf fundraiser tournament to benefit the shelter at Iowa Western Community College on May 6th. The tournament begins at 9 a.m. and will take place at the Treasure Cove Disc Golf Course on campus. The fun and fundraising will continue the next week as Midland's annual gala will take place at the Mid-America Center on May 12th. Registration and other information for both events can be found on the Midland's website. More information about fostering, volunteering, and donation opportunities can be found at Midland's humanesociety.org or by calling 712-396-2270. Like their Facebook page to keep up with daily shelter news. The shelter can also be found at Midlands Humane on Twitter and at Midlands Humane Society on Instagram. The next article we're going to read is Council Bluffs Library hosts Culture All ambassador to speak on Ukraine traditions. Anastasia Addington will speak about Ukraine for Women's History Month by Emily Shreby. In honor of Women's History Month, the Council Bluffs Public Library is hosting Culture All ambassador Anastasia Addington on March 16th, where she will share about the culture and traditions of Ukraine. Addington is originally from Kiev, Ukraine, and when she was two years old, her family migrated to Russia. Both cultures are very dear to her heart. A press release from the library said she is passionate about learning languages and cultures and has enjoyed immersing herself in Iowa's multicultural communities, the release said. Culture All is a nonprofit based in Iowa that helps those in the state learn about world cultures through innovative programs that allow people to participate in cultural traditions. The nonprofit believes that sharing the cultural richness of our community with others will elevate our community and the quality of life for all, the release said. Addington will speak at 6.30 p.m. at the Council Bluffs Library, 400 Willow Avenue, in Meeting Room B. The representation is free, and open to the public. And for more information, visit bit.ly slash 3HF2AQ5 or call 712-323-7553, extension 5427. Next, we're going to read an article called Iowa's Grassley pushes back on Biden Medicare plan. White House warns Republican proposal would strip health insurance from many Iowans by Tom Barton from the Lee Gazette and Des Moines Bureau. Iowa U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley says the White House proposal to extend Medicare's solvency is likely to run into stiff Republican opposition. During his weekly conference call with Iowa reporters, Grassley on Wednesday pushed back on President Joe Biden's budget proposal, saying higher taxes on wealthy Americans to extend Medicare funding isn't going to solve this problem for the next 75 years. President Biden wants to raise taxes, wants more government spending, Grassley told the Gazette. He also wants to take credit for purely phony 
deficit reduction. His budget shows us that his administration has no intention of monitoring and no intention of sincerely grappling with the country's worsening the country's worsening fiscal health. Biden this week called for higher taxes on wealthy Americans to extend Medicare funding as part of his 2024 budget. Biden's proposal would raise the Medicare tax from 3.8 to 5% on high-income earners, making more than 400000 per year. The plan also aims to expand Medicare's ability to negotiate prescription drug prices beyond the measures enacted through the Inflation Reduction Act. Biden's proposal seeks to cut deficits by nearly $3 trillion over the next decade by raising taxes on wealthy Americans and corporations. Biden has suggested that tax increases on the earnings and holdings of the country's wealthiest households can bolster government finances and improve the long-term solvency can bolster government finances and improve the long-term solvency of Medicare and Social Security. It is too piecemental, Grassley said. We've got sit down and solve this problem once and for all. You have Republicans and Democrats around the table, and you've got to sit down in full faith and negotiation, and that is everything is on the table. The proposal comes amid a debate over the future of the social safety net programs as Congress faces a looming deadline to raise the federal debt limit or risk default. House Republicans have pledged not to touch the two entitlement programs, but are focusing on a wide range, deep suspending cuts to smaller programs. While still finalizing plans, the White House warned a House Republican proposal would upend the lives of many Iowans citing reporting by the New York Times of a budget outline that would, among other provisions, add work requirements for food stamp and Medicare benefits, cut housing programs, including phasing out the Section 8 program that pays a portion of monthly rent costs for low-income people, and eliminate expansions to Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Iowa expanded Medicaid coverage to low-income adults through the Affordable Care Act in 2013. Additionally, the state used a waiver to implement an Iowa-specific version of Medicaid expansion, but that was abandoned in 2015 in favor of straight Medicaid expansion as called for in the Affordable Care Act with a managed care approach that used private insurance to coordinate care and provide coverage. Eliminating that expansion would lead to 2002 eliminating that expansion would lead to 246,686 Iowans losing their health insurance coverage according to the enrollment data from the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Services. Biden last month spoke of the dangers of eliminating the Medicaid expansion which the Affordable Care Act expanded in 39 states. And it included millions of middle-class and working-class families who currently are covered by the ACA marketplace, Biden said. Even if they did not manage to keep their health insurance, it would cost them thousands of dollars more per year than it does now. Grassley also criticized the timing of the release of Biden's budget proposal, a month after this 
statutory deadline. The delay will have a cascading effect on putting us way behind on the whole budget process, Grassley said. It puts us on a path, once again, of governing by cliff and by crisis. The next article is Deadline Nears for Tickets to Council Bluffs Education Foundation Month by Tim Johnson. Time is running out to reserve tickets for the Council Bluffs School Foundation's Education is Everyone's Business Luncheon. The event will be held from 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Wednesday, March 22nd at the Mid-America Center One Arena. Weigh in Council Bluffs. The event is held annually to inform business and community partners of the important things happening in local schools. Executive Director Chris LaFerla will deliver the keynote address, Teachers Need Us Now More Than Ever, working together to support teachers to preserve the social, cultural, and economic health of our community and beyond. TS Institute is the presenting sponsor. The deadline for registration is Wednesday, March 15th. To register for tickets or a sponsorship, visit cbsf.org slash luncheon. In other news, Sharon J. All passed away. Sharon J. All, age 78, passed away March 9, 2023. She was born September 26, 1944 to the late Marion and Margaret Hardigan Torrenson in Ute, Iowa. In addition to her parents, she was preceded in death by spouse Norman Ull, infant sister Norma Torgertson. Sharon is survived by her children Terry and partner Retina Ull, Larry and partner Heather Ull, Tammy and partner Todd, Frank and Melissa Kenneth, and Gwen sisters Carol Aronson and Marlene Head, 10 grandchildren and 10 great-grandchildren, a host of other family and friends. Visitation will be held from 3 to 5 p.m. at Oi Kilnoyski Funeral Home, Sunday, March 12, 2023. Memorial service will be held at 11 a.m. at Hoy Kilinowski Funeral Home, March, March, Monday, March 13th, 2023. Memorials are suggested to the Jeannie Edmondson Foundation for Breast Cancer. Next, we will read Six Indoor Activities in Council Bluffs by Emma Schwaller. The weather may be a bit unpredictable this time of year, but that doesn't mean you need to stay home. There are numerous fun and exciting things to do in Council Bluffs, regardless of the temperature. I've made a list of some of the best things to do on cold, wet, and snowy days, from escaping from an award-winning escape room to visiting a local museum. Number one, uncover our local history. As mile zero of the Transcontinental Railroad, Council Bluffs is rich in history and we're proud to show it off. Uncover the past at the Union Pacific Railroad Museum, the historic General Dodge House, the Squirrel Cage Jail, and many other museums and historical sites. You may learn something you never knew about your hometown. Number two, get creative and explore the Hoff. The Hoff Family Arts and Culture Center serves as a hub for creative activity in Potawatomi country. It features educational classes for young learners, including ceramics, painting, and a steam maker's lab. 
adults will enjoy the ever-changing the ever-changing art ex exhibitions in the gallery and live performances by the American Midwest Ballet, Chanticleer Community Theater, and the Canesville Symphony Orchestra. Number three, race around the track at Joe's Indoor Karting. Council Bluff's first and only indoor karting facility, Joe's Indoor Karting, offers fast and furious kart racing with European indoor karts racing up to speeds of 45 miles an hour. In addition to races, Joe's also offers classes and leagues. Number four, escape room from the cryptic room. The Cryptic Room is a live-action, team-based escape room game. Once you are inside of one of the five themed rooms, the clock starts ticking and you have limited time to work together, find and use clues to solve puzzles, and break out. You must hurry, though. Once the clock hits zero, it's all over. Jump around at the Hub. The Hub CB is the place to be for year-round family fun. The Fly Zone Trampoline Park features an open bounce area, dunk hoops, dodgeball court, a battle beam to joust on, a large arcade, and so much more. The Hub also offers five lanes of axe throwing with an interactive game system for those 12 years and older. Number six, Antique Shop Till You Drop. If you love antiques, you're in the right place. In Council Bluffs, you can shop for antiques at the Shallows Nest, which carries the Swallows Nest, which carries several eras of antiques, retro items, and handmade gifts. Jantiques Historic Haymarket District of CB specializes in restored oak furniture, crocks, and cupboards. On the other side of Potawatomi Country is the small town of Walnut, better known as Iowa's Antique City. The town is booming with an antique store and specialty shops. Check out favorites including B Restored, Barn Mall, and Antique Furniture Emporium. This list only scratches the surface of all the wonderful indoor activities available in Council Bluffs and Potawatomi Country. I encourage you to be a tourist in your hometown. There's always something new to learn and discover when you travel locally. You help your local businesses thrive, which in turn helps employer friends, family, and neighbors. Attached to this is an image of Be Restored, one of the many antique stores and shops in Walnut, Iowa. It looks like a wood, a wood building with lots of shelves for different knickknacks. There's um, different things you can buy, maybe handcrafted soaps. Um, it looks like there's an apron somewhere with a logo. Moving along, Iowa House passes bill barring sexual content from school library books from the Lee Gazette and Des Moines Bureau. Iowa House Republicans passed a bill on Wednesday that would prohibit school libraries from including books that are not age-appropriate. Barring any books that contain sexual content, teachers' librarians would be required to create a library program within the par parameters of the bill. The school program would be set up by the school librarian working with students, teachers, administrators, and other staff and regularly reviewed. The House passed the legislation 60-37 to 
Three Republicans joined all Democrats in voting no. The bill follows hearings by the House Government Oversight Committee last month where parents who attempted to get books removed from schools, curriculums, or libraries told lawmakers there should be more processes in place to restrict books they see as obscene. Lawmakers also heard from school administrators and students who had been involved in requests to remove library books. Republican Representative Brooke Bowden said the bill is not intended to restrict books dealing with LGBTQ characters or classics like To Kill a Mockingbird, which some opponents have cited as a book that would be banned under the bill. I just want to make it extremely clear that we are not banning books, Bowden said, and parental choice still exists. Parents can still read the books of their choice to their own children. Books like The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, and The Gender Queer are among the books that have been successfully removed from Iowa schools, according to Penn America. But Democrats said the bill was unnecessary, saying processes already exist to to review books in schools and that the bill could prohibit books that have been literary value and it would remove books that parents may want their children to read. There may be some passages that, taken out of context, may seem inappropriate, said Representative Sue Cahill, a Democrat from Marshalltown, a former school librarian. But we look at the literary value of books and how it represents students in our school systems. Grant awarded to help lower workplace language barriers. Governor Kim Reynolds on Wednesday announced new new grant awards targeted at reducing language barriers within Iowa's workforce. Reynolds announced $357,470 in funding to provide dual language in construction, language instruction in Spanish, English, and Mandarin to 465 employees at 11 different Iowa businesses. The program seeks to help employers serve more customers and boost recruitment and retention efforts with new staff, according to the governor's office. Employers were required to provide plans for sustaining each language program, and courses were encouraged to be conducted on-site or include several options for flexible transportation off-site. Grants were awarded to ALPLA Incorporated from Iowa City, A.Y. McDonald MFG Co. in Dubkey, Catalyst Project Management from Iowa City, Country Aid West Blend Heritage Building Maintenance from Des Moines, Interstates Sioux Center, Ironwood 35 Design and Build Rock Valley, Newman, Monsoon, Iowa City, New Hope Village Incorporated, Carol, Sharers Foods, Burlington, VGM Group, Waterloo. Looking at the forecast for this week from the Council Bluffs 5-day forecast, today we'll have some considerable cloudiness from um, northeast, and it'll be about 6 to 12 miles an hour. Our high today is 39 degrees. And then tonight, it'll still be cloudy, and the wind will be coming from the southeast direction, and it'll have an 8 to 16 miles an hour wind with 29 degrees as our low. 
On Saturday, an afternoon shower or two will happen. We'll have a lot of wind for the next few days. Coming from the southeast area, we'll have 8 to 16 miles an hour wind. And then our high is 37 degrees and our low is 26. Sunday, it'll be breezy in the afternoon with wind coming from the northwest at 10 to 20 miles an hour. And then we'll have a 33 degree high with a 19 degree cold. And then on Monday, we'll have a cold breezy in the morning day with winds coming from the northwest at 8 to 16 miles an hour. Our high will be 35 and our low will be 21. And then on Tuesday, it'll be breezy with clouds and sun, wind coming from the southeast from 10 to 20 miles an hour. Our high will be 47 and our low will be 36. Moving on to a new article called Mexico's Missing Remain Lost by Mark Stevenson from the Associated Press. Mexico City. When four Americans were kidnapped from the border city of Matamoros, authorities rescued the survivors within days, but thousands of Mexicans remain missing in a state long associated with cartel violence, some in cases dating back more than a decade. Mexican authorities quickly blamed the local Gulf cartel for shooting up the Americans' minivan after they crossed the border for cosmetic surgery Friday. They found the Americans two dead, one injured, and one apparently unharmed early Tuesday after a massive search involving squads of Mexican soldiers and National Guard troops. By contrast, more than 112,000 Mexicans remain missing nationwide, in many cases years or decades after they disappeared. Through a convoy of armored Mexican military trucks extracted the Americans the only ones searching for more, most of the missing Mexicans are their desperate relatives. If these people had been Mexicans, they might still be disappeared, said Guadalupe Correa Car Carbera, as associated professor at George Mason University. The rescue of the Americans provoked a special kind of fury in Tampalupians, a border state long dominated by the warring Gulf and north at east cartels where the network of disappeared activist groups examines that 12,537 people remain missing. Della Quaria from the nearby cities of Reynosa has been looking for her brother Roberto for nine years ever since he was kidnapped by gunmen. Probably belonging to the Gulf Cartel, the same group blamed for abducting the Americans in March 2014. Despite carrying out their own searches and pressuring authorities to investigate, the family knows nothing about his whereabouts. Kiora said that the families of the missing celebrate and give thanks to God that they found these four U.S. citizens, but said, We wish the government would search for our disappeared with the same zeal and diligence. We feel completely indignation, desperation, and anguish, impotence, and grief, Cora said, because of authorities' failure to act when Mexican families suffer the disappearances of relatives. Volunteer search terms like Cora's often are 
forced to walk the deserts of northern Mexico with iron rods and shovels, looking for cladenstein graves where the bodies of their relatives may have been dumped. Authorities lack both the manpower, equipment, and training, and many say they will they will to investigate the abductions, much less arrest or punish those responsible. Things are so bad that authorities aren't even able to identify tens of thousands of bodies that have been found. The fact that our Americans were involved in the most recent abduction may guarantee that Mexican authorities go after the killers. About two dozen suspects more than the Juarez cartel were arrested in connections with the 2019 killings of nine U.S. citizens, women, and children in the western border state of Sonora. It is unclear exactly what factor of the Gulf cartel may have abducted the Americans in Matamoros last week. The gangs go by nicknames like the Scorpions, the Cyclones, and the Troops of Hell. In Matamoros, Coria, Cabrera said they are essentially off all sh off. Avrea said they are essentially all offshoots of the Cardenas clan, whose head Osi Cardenas. Gilan was arrested in 2003. The gangs care little about the innocent bystanders. In 2021, gunmen from factions of the Gulf Cartel drove through the streets of Reynosa, randomly killing 15 passerbyers just to intimidate their rivals. The Mexican government claims that it's hung not bullets, it, it's hugs not bullets strategy and anti-poverty programs in intended to reduce the number of recruitments for drug gangs has been working. The number of officially recognized homicides fell from 719 in 2020 to 707 in 2021 and 492 in 2022. That, of course, doesn't count all of the disappeared people, but things are clearly not as bad as the dark days of 2010 and 2011 in Tamalpas when drug cartels massacred 72 migrants or dragged passengers off passing buses and killed hundreds who refused to fight each other to the death with sledgehammers. Correa Cabrera said the deadline decline in killings and crimes in Matamoros in recent years may have been because the Cardinals' clan reasserted control. It was clear that the Cardea's family had control of the territory and there was a piece of a sort of mafia piece, in Matamoros, Correa Cabrera said, until early this year when it appeared to break down. At the start of this year, there began to be reports of a lot more extortion by the same group that controls the city, said the professor who previously taught at the University of Texas, Brownsville, just across the Rio Grande from Matamoros. Following this article, there is an image of a few soldiers standing at what looks like a building by a street. It says, Mexican National Guard soldiers prepare a search mission Monday for four U.S. citizens kidnapped by gunmen at Matamoros, Mexico. Russian Gallery shows art by Merchant of Death, Associated Press. Moscow. Victor Bout, a former Russian arms dealer who was released from prison in the U.S. in a swap for WNBA star Brittany Gearer in December, has unveiled an exhibition of his artworks at a Moscow gallery. 
Bout, widely known abroad as the Merchant of Death, was convicted in 2011 on terrorism charges, with prosecutors saying that he was ready to sell up to 20 million in weapons, including surface to air missiles to shoot down U.S. helicopters. He strongly denied the charges and proclaimed his innocence, describing himself as a legitimate entrepreneur who didn't sell any weapons. Russian officials have cast him as a victim of a nefarious U.S. sting operation and demanded his release for many years. When Moscow and Washington made a deal to swap him for Greer in December, Belt was held in a medium security facility in Marion, Illinois, and had not been scheduled to be released until 2029. After his return to Moscow, Bout, 56, quickly became a member of the Kremlin-backed Liberal Democratic Party, but has dodged questions about a possible political career. Bout's art exhibition features a wild gamut of styles and subjects, from portraits of Soviet-era movie stars to warplanes to animals. Most of his drawings and paintings are done in a realistic manner, but there is also some attempts at abstract com composition. The exhibition includes personal objects, photos, and a floor plan of his cell in the U.S. prison. When you are surrounded by absolutely gray walls topped by barbed wire, and when you don't see the horizon for a long time, it's hard, Bout said. Tuesday and his exp said Tuesday. At his expedition, the deprivation of such visual stimuli was a challenge for me. Drawing helped me overcome all of that. He added that his experience taught him that life can always change drastically. You must not give up. You must do everything to remain faithful to your fate, despite any difficulties, Bout said. Along with that, there are two images, one of Bout setting up a camera. One of the images is of a cameraman setting up pictures, taking pictures of the artwork that Bout has put in his gallery. The caption on that says, Alexander Zemelachikovo, photos from Associated Press. A cameraman films prior to an opening ceremony Tuesday of the exhibition of artworks by Victor Bout, a Russian arms dealer who was sentenced to 25 years in the United States at the Most Film Studio in Moscow, Russia. And the second picture is a picture of Victor Bout himself um, standing kind of in front of his art. The caption on that one says, Victor Bout, a Russian arms dealer who was sentenced to 25 years in prison in the United States, speaks to the media prior to an opening ceremony of the exhibition of his artworks Tuesday at the Most Film Studio in Moscow, Russia. Bout was brought back to Russia as a result of an agreement to exchange him for U.S. basketball player Brittany Greer. Moving on to sports, we have Iowa State knocks out number 10 Baylor 78-72 in Kansas City, Missouri. Iowa State coach T.J. Osselberger's main talking points heading into a quarterfinal against number 10 Baylor in the Big 12 tournament centered on the basics rebounding, and points in the paint. The Cyclones must have taken the message to heart. Sure, Gabe Kellesker knocked down six three-pointers and scoring 24 points, but everyone else wearing red had a hand in the huge advantage on the boards, including a 21-5 edge on the offensive glass. 
and that allowed the fifth-seeded Cyclones to beat the fourth-seeded Bears 78-72 to on Thursday and advance to the semifinal round. One thing we really focused on, also Berger said, with a great, with a hoarse voice, our guys did a great job. Jaron Holmes added 17 points, Tammy Lipsy had 12, Trey King 10 for the Cyclones, 19-12, to who followed up a win over the Bears on Saturday by beating them for the fifth time in the sixth conference tournament games. Iowa State will play third-ranked Kansas on Friday night for a spot in the title game. As for Bears, well, the game plan for Iowa State to beat them was simple. Our coaches did a great job of telling us to take away their threes, Kelcher said. Jalen Bridges was knocking down threes. A lot of them were open, but we kind of limited their other guards from going off. Bridges, who was held to five points on the 1-4-9 shooting against Iowa State last week and went 10 of 11 from the field, topped his career high with three early in the second half and finished with 28 points for Baylor, 22-10. It wasn't enough against the Cyclones, who are trying to repeat their 2019 title as the number five seed. Big 12. Number one, Kansas, 78. Number eight, West Virginia, 61. Playing without ailing coach Bill Self on the sidelines, third-ranked Kansas turned to big offensive performances from Jalen Wilson and Dejon Harris, Jr., along with some stingy defense to pull away from West Virginia in the quarterfinals in Kansas City, Missouri. They will play Iowa State in Friday night semifinals. Self missed the game with what the school called an, an undisclosed illness. He was being treated at the University of Kansas Health System. Eric Stevenson had 13 points to lead West Virginia in the loss. Number two, Texas, 61. Number seven, Oklahoma State, 47. Sir Jabari Rice scored 13 points to lead four Texas players in double figures, scoring and the seventh-ranked Longhorns shut down Oklahoma State once again in a quarterfinals game. Tyrese Hunter and Dylan Disu scored 11 points apiece, and Atiro Morris had 10 as the Longhorns breezed into the semifinals. Caleb Asbury had 16 points for the Cowboys, whose slim NCAA tournament hopes may have taken a devastating blow with the lackluster performance. Number one, Miami, and number nine, Wake Forest, 72. Miami is 74. Jordan Miller had 18 points and nine rebounds, and number 14, Miami, held on to defeat Wake Forest in the quarterfinals posted in Greensboro, North Carolina. The article is connected with an image of two players playing basketball in a head-to-head shot. The caption of it is UCLA guarded Amari Bailey Wright drives to the basket against Colorado guard Julian Hammond III during the second half of Thursday's Pac-12 tournament quarterfinal game in Las Vegas. And that brings me to the end of today's reading of the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil 
for March 10, 2023. The Nonpareil can be heard each weekday at 3 p.m. Iris volunteers love to hear from listeners. If you have any comments or questions about today's broadcast or any Iris program, please call toll-free from anywhere in Iowa at 877-404-4747. I'm Morgan Volk from Drake University in Des Moines. Thank you for listening. Bureau of Economic Geology, this is Earth Date. Previously, we talked about how scientists discovered the asteroid that brought down the dinosaurs. But what exactly happened when a rock twice the size of Manhattan smashed into our planet with a force of 10 billion atomic bombs? It punched a hole in Earth's crust 50 miles wide and 20 miles deep, causing nearly a million cubic miles of solid rock to behave like liquid. Like when a rock lands in a pond, the sides of the crater splashed outward, up, then collapsed. The center of the crater rebounded, rocketing up higher than Mount Everest, then it too collapsed. Earth's crust rippled like the surface of water. A ring of ridges spread out from the impact site. This giant splash on Earth's surface happened in a matter of minutes. Then the rocks froze into their new positions and were protected from erosion by layers of marine sediment. A 2016 mission drilled into the ridges circling the crater floor. The explorers found large sections of melted rock. Below that, they found granite so badly pulverized that they were less dense than normal granite. And as often happens in science, one insight leads to another. A recent space mission had discovered that the moon's crust is less dense than it should be, and scientists wondered why. The crater on Earth suggests it's due to four billion years of impacts on the moon's famously cratered surface. I'm Scott Tinker, bringing you impactful insights on Earth Date. Earth Date is produced by the Bureau of Economic Geology at the University of Texas at Austin, with support from Schlumberger, helping oil and gas companies increase production and efficiency while lowering environmental impact. You can hear more Earth Date stories at earthdate.org.